0: Does foresight beat out strategy? There's a number of things that are changing in the world of work today, and of course, in this conversation, we're going to explore a few of them. My name is Donna Jones, I'm the host for the Insight to Action podcast. Welcome. It's a complex and high pressure world where there's nothing predictable about the future, and yet, when it comes down to strategy, a lot of companies believe that they can still use the old process, which is to identify the destination and then do all the the stuff around how we get there as well. With me today is Patricia Lustig, author of Strategic Foresight. Patricia, why doesn't the traditional way of doing strategy work anymore? Is strategy predictable?
1: I'm not sure that it ever really did, because most strategies extrapolate forward to one future, and that future is a continuation of the past And as we all know, nobody can predict the future because if we could, we'd be very wealthy indeed, would we not?
0: Yes, that would be fabulous. (laughs) I know.
1: So strategies, frequently, people will make a strategy based on one future and then put it on a shelf and not look at it again until next year when we're doing strategy again or next five years when we're doing strategy again to have something that's useful you need to look at a range of possible futures because we can't predict which one is going to happen. And you have to have a strategy, a plan for each of those futures.
0: So that's interesting because it's a little bit more in-depth process then for for companies and for leaders to to embark on. This is about shifting ways of doing it. So I think you call it anticipatory thinking. To, to be able to be agile and then resilient and, and respond to do the necessary course adjustments, if you will. How do you go about doing that? Well, there's a relatively
1: straightforward process that you can use, and I, I call it developing your foresight muscles. So you, you need to design, develop, a range of futures, as I said. And to do that, you need to look at what's emerging around you. And actually, this can be great fun because it's your opportunity to go a little bit mad doing research and have a reason for it, seeing what catches your eye, looking for emerging issues, looking at things that you might never have heard of. And rather than going, what what the heck is CRISPR? Say, ah, let's, let's read about that because maybe that's something that's going to affect my business. Maybe I need to know a little bit more about it. CRISPR, if you're interested, is a is tool to edit genes. You can cut out, you know, just one letter out of a gene and replace it with something else. Hmm.
0: Like whiteout. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, you could white it out as well, but I think you need to replace it with something. You can swap a C with a T or something like that. But there are lots of things like that. You may have heard about self-driving vehicles. And what you do when you're doing this work is not just go and find out a bit about it because it interests you. You also want to think about what that could mean. There's all sorts of things. Let's say you're in insurance, car insurance. What does that mean when some people have self-driving cars and other people don't? Just think about it. And think about what it means for reinsurance, and and so on and so forth. When you're doing, when you're playing with those emerging issues, and you're looking at how they could unfold, because they you can't predict how they're going to f- unfold either. And you put a few of them together, you start to build a picture of a potential future, and that gives you a feeling. The more, the more nuanced you can make it for yourself, the easier it is to imagine yourself being there. And that gives you a feeling for what you might need to do to find the opportunities and protect yourselves from risk in that particular future. And if you look at a few different ones, all of which are possible and plausible from today, and you make plans for each of those, none of them are going to happen. But the fact that you have actually made a plan for each Will help protect your strategy because if you're continuing to keep your eyes open, you can notice when something is going one way or, or the other, and then enact the right plan.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like playing tennis. I've always visualized that—not that I know how to play tennis, but when you watch good people play, you know, good tennis players play. It's—it's it's about watching where the ball's going, and then—and then being in that spot. I guess Wayne Gretzky from hockey coined it that way as well. But
1: yes, that's it. Yeah.
0: So, you know, th- this is an interesting conversation for me because one of the things I've noticed is that people don't make connections. So I noticed, for example, 3D printing is coming up. I'm in the construction industry. I might not see the connection until I see the next headline, which says Dubai just printed its first 3D office building. And then you kind of go, whoa. And, and then and you still might say, well, that's not going to have an impact on us because that's big. It's over there. It's not here. And, and so, you know, I, I think what, I, what, what I'm wondering about is it must develop, when you say foresight muscles, it, it must also develop your capacity to start making connections.
1: And see patterns.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah. It's really
1: about seeing patterns. And you know, uh, this week, I saw an article about in Africa, they're 3D printing houses with mud. Amazing.
0: Uh, that's the perfect ingredient. It is well, certainly for Africa, it is. Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Wow, cool. And I know there was previously a company that was over there, actually a nonprofit company, that was over there printing prosthetic limbs for some of these kids, well, and adults too, but in the Sudan, whose you know arms and legs have been blown off by, by aerial strikes, and um, you know, so they've been they went over there. I put this in decision. In one of the articles, the supplementary articles to Decision Making for Dummies, I think. They printed up a lake for about a hundred bucks or something like that. I mean, they took all the stuff, they set it up in the field, and and they went. And it was a joint venture between Intel, the nonprofit, and, and a robotics company. So it's really fascinating. So these are the things that we don't think about, and, and because they're either somewhere else like Africa. So if it's not close to me, you know, I don't think about it. It's it's somewhere, place else, but it's very much a predictor of what's coming up.
1: Indeed. And the other thing that's really interesting when you look at a a few of these different emerging trends, then you can combine them together and that's when you come up with disruptive change.
0: Yeah, exactly. Now, you talk a bit about Fukushima, if you will. Yes. I know every place like that's done disaster planning. What happened there? Okay, well, one
1: of the things that is really necessary when you go into it in a little bit of depth is not just looking at what you can see and actually, you know, the emerging issues that you identify. It's playing around with what we call wild cards. Wild cards are really crazy, out-of-the-blue, nutty things that could happen, right? And And what happened in Fukushima was that there were They had done their work and they had looked at each individual thing that could happen. What they hadn't looked at was a wild card of three of these different things happening at the same time. So they had looked at tsunamis, they had looked at earthquakes, and they had looked at what happens if we have no electricity. But they hadn't looked at all three of those things together.
0: I appreciate the challenge of this because there's a couple of things at play. One of them, one of them is linear thinking. You, you can only think about one dot at a time, and so rarely do we think about well, what happens if all. You know, we don't take it to that next level, and that's largely because there's a bias about things that are closer, riskier than things that are further away, and and or in this case, improbable. It, you know, there's a part of being human that we need to actually design into this this process of of probable futures
1: and how we react to them. I I have a list from from a book by by John Peterson. It's called Out of the Blue: How to Anticipate Big Future Surprises. And he has a little bit of a list so that when you're playing with this stuff and you want to look at wild cards, you pick something from one of six categories. And the six categories are Earth and Sky, biomedical developments, geopolitical and soci- sociological changes, Technology and infrastructure upheaval, surprise attack, spiritual and paranormal. So you pick one and play with it, or pick two and play with it.
0: I love that, because one of the things few people realize is that there are times when we have electronic meltdowns that come from solar flares. Indeed. You know, we're not paying attention to that at all, because the sun wakes up, the sun goes down, and we wake up, you know, we go to bed. We don't think about the effect of, for example, the cosmos on day-to-day reality, and yet it's having an effect. So that's fantastic. I love that list.
1: And, and there's another thing you can do to look at futures. If you like reading science fiction, for instance, find some good science fiction. Perhaps they're, they're usually divided into utopian and dystopian. And have a look at what that world looks like. Somebody's come up with an idea of a future world. And what would that do to your business? It's fascinating.
0: Well, I think this is where movies come into play. I I mean, there's Star Trek and and some of the – as a leading-edge program that that really broke a bunch of barriers that were pretty fantastic. And then I think you've talked about Back to the Future as well.
1: Well, Back to the Future was actually – they actually used people – they got people to do some predictions. And foresight isn't about predictions because we can't predict the future. But we can get some ideas of what might be out there. And, you know, they got some things right. They did. They got quite a few things wrong as well. We're not all communicating with faxes, are we? But the, the point is when you look at something like that, you know that you're never going to get everything right. So you need to plan for what happens if you don't get it right, and you need to plan for what happens if you do, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, it makes sense. So what comes to mind there is is learning from mistakes. I know I put an entire chapter in Decision Making for Dummies on that because people tend to treat mistakes as failures rather than as stones to expanding and learning and, and so forth, so... I think your mistakes actually, particularly when it comes to this kind of conversation, you know, making decisions on possible futures, errors in, in 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 what you're seeing, because it's, you know, reality is a matter of perception, are really informative because they point to what assumptions are being made.
1: Yeah, if I can go back to the back to the future thing, because that was the 21st of October last year, one of the big things that it missed. I mean, the film came out in... 1980, I think, or, sorry, 1990, but obviously they were doing it in 89 and 88, and what they missed, the biggest thing that they missed, was the ubiquitous smartphone, and they missed that because one of the things that was needed for that to happen was the World Wide Web, which was developed by Tim Berners-Lee in 89, Which came out after they'd done the film. So they, they couldn't possibly foresee that happening. But it's also an indicator of what happens when you have several emerging issues that come together. So the miniaturization, the fact that the stuff that's in, in, in my mobile phone that I carry around with me is, it's, it's more of a computer than back in the day in the, in the eighties that filled football, a room the size of a football stadium.
0: I just having read Bold by Stephen Kotler and Peter Diamandis, I think they said in there, and I tend to get numbers wrong, but so definitely look it up. But if you're listening to this program, but um, I think it's something like a hundred thousand dollars worth of technology in that smartphone.
1: Oh, probably more than if you look at the at the um, R and D that went behind it. Yeah, exactly. But without the coming together of the fact that things have got cheaper, Moore's law, how much memory you can get onto a a chip so things got smaller and the world wide web we wouldn't have smartphones so it's a really good example of people who have done a good job of trying to make some predictions and about what the future might look like and you know the big screen tellies with lots of different screens in it that's that's there now virtual reality we've got that now augmented reality as well i'm excited about that oh, it is, it's good fun, but the, they, they miss this. So that can happen to anyone, and therefore you've got to have a plan B.
0: Or a parallel plan. I mean, you know, in terms of how your brain works when you're making decisions intuitively, it runs through multiple scenarios simultaneously, which I think is mind-blowing. I just love that. So it can take up all these different possible outcomes and run them in milliseconds. I think that's pretty pretty darn cool. It is. One of the things you mentioned earlier was was taking your futures and, and making a plan from them. I guess what I'm thinking about here, and I'd like your, your view on it, but when you make plans, people people tend to think the plan is the purpose. They tend to forget that, no, it's really about the process of planning and really trying to embed that in, in memory because everyone knows that if you're a martial artist, doing the move once doesn't do it. You need to do it multiple times before before the flexibility and the adaptability and the agility is embedded into your thinking, into your into your responses. And I think it's not a whole lot different when doing this kind of approach, you know, a strategic foresight approach. You, you need to build that muscle up so the muscle memory is there. Do plans work for or against that? I think it's not
1: for or against, it's both. I think you need to have a plan because that's That's how we kind of work. We make sense of what's out there, right? And making a plan helps you to make sense. If this and this and this happens, I'm going to do that, right? Exactly. And the foresight muscles piece is around doing the scanning. Initially, you're scanning to see what are the emerging issues. But as time goes on and you build up those foresight muscles, you're scanning to monitor where you are. You're scanning... Because when you've developed one a set of your futures, you've said, okay, we're here today and we're looking at this particular future. To get from today to that particular future, here's a couple of things that need to happen. So you've got what I would call early warning signals, but they're into the future. So that you can be watching for those early warning signals that would indicate you were doing one – a trend was emerging one way or another, a future was unfolding one way or another – So you've got a warning signal to look out for, and when you're continually doing this sort of, it becomes second nature, this this horizon scanning, this looking around at what's going on, you notice and you remember. You say, ah, yeah, we talked about that one, and what were we going to do if that happens? Now, you know where to look it up if you don't remember, but if you've actually worked out a plan, then... You remember
0: what it is. Well, intuitively, it's going to be in your memory bank. So. It's going to be
1: in your memory banks, yeah. And you might see two or three unfolding, which then gives you the opportunity to say, oh, well, we have these three plans. How do we make them work together? And in fact, you usually try to find, make a plan, develop a strategy that's going to work in several different futures so that you've got your bases covered, as it were.
0: What's interesting about this for me is is intuitively as an individual there are some specific things you can do to sharpen and strengthen that muscle which is the muscle to use in in complex situations but this pro you know a strategic foresight approach really helps you do that collectively and build it organizationally which is just basically scales uh you know your intuitive intelligence from the individual to the collective level if that makes any sense Yep it does Are there any things that decision makers or leaders need to be aware of when embarking on a strategic foresight process, particularly if they're shifting from where they've been, which is, think, the very linear thinking, planning, doing, stepping stone? What have you noticed in your work?
1: Well, I think one of the things that is is sort of an Achilles heel, and that's, that's a human thing. It's about the way we think. We make sense of things, and the brain does it. By itself, we aren't actually aware of it. And therefore, we, we, make, we have a shorthand, which is we make assumptions, right? Yeah. And one of the things that's needed for developing foresight muscles is learning to identify, question, and challenge assumptions. So with Fukushima, they made the assumption that they might have one of these outlier things happening, you know, a tsunami or an earthquake especially because they were on an earthquake fault line. But they wouldn't have all these things happening at once. So that was an assumption they made. Now, when you identify your assumptions, which isn't easy because they're assumptions, so they're almost invisible. When you challenge and identify them, that gives you more robustness in the decision you make because you're aware what you're basing the decision on.
0: My role as a professional facilitator the number of times that I, you, I've been in groups where things have gone sideways and, and they've gone sideways because along the way an assumption was made and no one checked it. I mean, they're really useful assumptions if you use them for temporary and you're aware of them. But when you're not aware of them and and therefore they operate sort of subliminally and then, and then that runs into a wall, it, it's a bit of a jolt. So, so I appreciate the value of what you're saying. That's exactly it. Man, yeah, That's fascinating. Have you noticed that strategic, this is a question that, you know, you can choose to answer or not, but have you noticed this, that the practice of strategic foresight and the muscle building that, in the steps that you've just talked about, have you noticed that helps build a better way of processing information? You know, and, and what I'm referring to here is moving away from Expanding really from linear and analytical, which is more of a reductionist get it down, you know, wrestle it down mode to something that is able to hold more points in the in the in the in the perspective at once. Does it help to do that?
1: Well, I think what it helps to do, first of all, you're encouraged to look for patterns, but it helps you to look at systems. So you're looking a lot larger and a lot more interconnected than you would than you're used to let's put it that way right because you know we encourage people to really when they start to look for emerging issues to really really go all out go mad and look way out in left field because that's where you're going to find the things that are going to be valuable to you. And to not say, oh, well, I'm in X industry, I'm in construction, so I'm only interested in this. You know, to be fair, talking about 3D printing, there's a company near me called They They build the 3D printers and there's a 3D printer that takes a picture, a 3D picture of a tooth and then makes a tooth that you can put in for dentists. And how does that impact construction? Well actually, as you said, if you can do it small, you can do it big.
0: Right. Right, right, right.
1: So you need to look and you know, does does gene editing affect you? Well, I don't know, but it's probably worth thinking about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. One of the things that you've talked about with these wild cards, and this is exactly what we're talking about, is taking the, the the far outreaches of 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 ideas or probabilities and sort of saying can we see them in relationship to whatever it is we're doing? Even though it looks unrelated, it, you know, it kind of what what kind of boils down to. If I look at the Fu- Fukushima situation, wild cards in this case were the unthinkable.
1: And that goes that goes back to assumptions as well. They're unthinkable because there are certain assumptions that we're making.
0: Yeah, exactly on what can or cannot happen at any given time. So really, this becomes another. Way of building some skill sets in in certainly decision making around being aware of what those assumptions are and how you're making them and why you're making them you know just to make up for inadequate information in some instances
1: and that's okay when you build a when you build a, a future you're so you're building your range of futures i I'm always careful about saying a future because there is no future. there is a range at any moment in time when you're building one of them. You always base it on assumptions, but it's important to make those assumptions clear and explicit.
0: Yeah, and, and, and the practice that I I've uh, usually try to install with teams is to make sure they walk back and verify that those assumptions are still relevant, because if you just leave them alone and reality changes, you, you can be hung out to dry on your own uh, lack of reflection, if you will. You know, the opportunity to stand back and say, just where are we and, and is reality changing and do, what do we need to change to adapt? And that's part of the monitoring process as well. Right. Yeah, I see that. So can can you just give us the five steps in in a summary?
1: We We talked about looking for emerging issues and keeping your eyes open for new things and thinking about how these might disrupt your business and how they might combine and disrupt not just your business, but your whole sector. And how would you mitigate risk and develop advantages in each of those if if each of those trends worked out in different ways and then from your research and looking around you might like to develop a range of possible probable plausible futures that are based on a group of trends that you've been looking at so this would be step two that's step two and i would always say make sure that you put a wild card future in there
0: one of the things that's important in this step is your caveat that says it's never direct ex- extrapolation from the past. I think a lot of strategy is distorted by that that unknowing thinking, that that unintentional assumption that we can just take what happened from the past and stretch it out and it'll fit the future.
1: Well, and the other thing is we all always underestimate the amount of change that's going to happen. If you look ten years into the past. And 10 years forward, let's say how much change do you think will happen in the next 10 years? People always estimate that it will be less than what has happened in the past 10 years.
0: Yes, and I find that absolutely amazing. When you look at anything that Ray Kurzweil has ever looked at, all the stuff is on this steep curve, (laughs) like massive change, opposite of that.
1: There's a guy called Daniel Gilbert. He has a TED Talk about this. So, you know, you can see about the research that's been done about that estimating how much change will happen in the future. And that's why you don't want to extrapolate from the past. And also you want to put a a wildcard future in. Step three is identifying how you'd know that you were approaching one of these futures. So that was the early warning signs we talked about. And that's, that's done by saying, okay, we're in future A. And we look back to today and what are some of the steps we, that would happen on the way to make future A come true or future B. So you are identifying up front some things that you can monitor for. Excellent. Number four is developing a plan. When you've seen your range of futures, you'll also probably see one that you really like best. You like the look of. You'd really, so we call that a preferred future. When you're developing your plan, you're looking for places where you could influence, in particular, that, that preferred future to happen because the future, we all create it now. It doesn't happen by itself. We all create it. So what are the things that you, your organization, the people within it could do to influence that to happen, the one you want, the preferred one? How do you take best advantage of the situation as it emerges? What do you need to stop doing? What do you need to start doing? What risks might there be? This is innovation space. When you look at, and and entrepreneurial space as well, when you look at where you are today and this potential future and you look at how you might get there and, and take advantage of it, that's where innovation and creativity come out. So step five, the final step, is the monitoring that we talked about. You've got the early indicators you're continually every day looking around and seeing what catches your eye and you're actually curious about things, then you can monitor what's happening and see if you see any signs of a particular future unfolding. And then you know what to do. And if you've done this in your business, you've got a shared vocabulary about it. So you've got a kind of a shorthand that you can discuss with people and talk about, ah, I've seen X happening. Better think about our plan for that.
0: What you're saying here now makes me think that, in terms of organization, communication, that there's a need to sort of at, at, have little check-in points along the way where people say, "What are you seeing?" Let's let's compile and collate our observations because this is this is very much a sensory skill. There's not a lot. Um, if you're using the mental, it's way too late. So. This part is very sensory and it really helps building the, the capacity for, for an organization to sense the, what's emerging. And that's a very powerful and very contemporary skill set.
1: And it's also about joint sense making. I mean, there's so much going on and we can't all keep track of it. But if we get together, we've got a better chance of making sense of it and, and noticing what's happening and capturing the patterns.
0: On that note, I think at some point you and I have chatted about the other Fukushima plant that didn't melt down, which had exactly the same set of three scenarios roll in, and it didn't melt down because they mapped the uncertainties. They, They made everything transparent. All of what we didn't know was made transparent, and that allowed everybody to have some certainty about what they didn't know, which was brilliant because it's the way of providing stability, and it was their way of of creating a, a better, stronger agility in the moment where everything was just up for grabs.
1: <laughs> There's the thing about identifying what are the known unknowns and what are the unknown unknowns. That's actually quite powerful.
0: Yeah, I can see that. That would make sense for sure. Patricia, can you give us, where would people go to, to get your book and, and, and get all this great dig deeper into this topic and this practice?
1: The book's available on Amazon. So, um, as far as I know, Amazon in the U.S., in the U.K., in the EU, uh, in Australia, I think in India as well. So, it's, it's there. It's everywhere. In, it's everywhere. Electronic and um, hard versions, hard copy. You can go and have a look at our website, com. I'm also uh, just setting up a new social enterprise called Unlocking Foresight, which is to help raise foresight capability in businesses and organizations. And it's, it's just beginning, but there is an introductory video that people can watch that tells you what foresight is, and that's available on www.unlockingforesight.org, and you'll see introductory video. Oh, and there's there's plenty out there. It's trying to find it that can sometimes be difficult.
0: Well, at least you've got us a couple of places to start, Patricia. I want to thank you for being on the program today. I think foresight is is a, an incredibly valuable skill because I've walked into I don't know countless organizations in different sectors where the, the foresight was completely missing and their strategy got yanked out from underneath them as a consequence. So it's a it's a very relevant particularly now I mean it it was relevant way back when but it was it's even more relevant in the context of ambiguity and, and volatility so thank you very much for being on the program. My name is Donna Jones I'm the host for this program and I also work with companies and leaders particularly emerging leaders who are seeking to be more thoughtful about making these discernments between are we using strategy and how to engage foresight. And the other reality about foresight, quite frankly, is that in climates of fear and workplaces where fear is confused with being a management uh, tool then the entire prefrontal cortex is compromised which means there's no chance of foresight so so that's where I come in and can work with you from the outside uh, supporting your work that you're doing on the inside to create a better workplace and a better decision making environment thanks for commenting sharing and reviewing all the programs on this podcast I really appreciate it